Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. I'm Clarence Boone. Happy uh, Tax Day uh, and welcome to this edition of Bring It On. We're a multiple award-winning show celebrating over 14 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Good evening, and I'm Roberta Radovich. In today's broadcast, you'll also hear another exciting segment of Dark Past, Bright Future. All of this and more during the next hour on Bring It On. But first, our hearts are saddened to learn of the passing of Dr. James E. Mumford, longtime director of the IU African American Choral Ensemble. During his more than 20 years at the helm of the ensemble, part of IU's Office of the Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Multicultural Affairs, Dr. Mumford became an icon on campus, bringing prominence to the university through the performances of his students, and most importantly, serving as a mentor. Born in Kinston, North Carolina, Dr. Mumford was an academic prodigy. Along with his twin brother, uh, Dr. Mumford was babysat by his aunt, a teacher in a one-room schoolhouse outside of town, and during that time, he absorbed the lessons and instruction provided. By the time Dr. Mumford entered school in Kinston, he was so far ahead of his peers that he skipped ahead several grades, eventually attending college at Virginia State University at the age of 15. Dr. Mumford's work with the African American Arts Institute at Indiana University began in 1976 when he served as vocal coach for the IU Soul Review under then director Dr. Portia K. Moltsby. In 1980, Mumford took over as director of the IU Soul Review. In 1983, while completing his final year as Soul Review Director, he became director of the African American Choral Ensemble and continued in that role until his retirement in 2006. During his tenure as director, the Choral Ensemble premiered Mumford's compositions, Let My People Go, and ST, Sojourner Truth, Choral Portraits. Joining us now to reflect on a life well-lived is Dr. Raymond Wise, current director of the IU African American Choral Ensemble. Dr. Wise, uh, welcome to Bring It On. Hello, and thank you for having me. Hello. It's our pleasure, and uh, I know uh, uh, such a time as this, uh, compounding some things, is that you are getting ready for your spring concert with the Choral Ensemble, which is an annual um, uh, production, and I know that in some respects you probably just uh, finished up practice over there at the, the Black Culture Center. Actually, we just did. Um, I've been traveling. I just got back in town last night for rehearsal today, and uh, we've been rehearsing, and the kids actually stayed a little uh, longer as we were preparing for the concert, and I just 
kept singing. And um, I said, oh, my goodness, I'm supposed to be on the radio. I've got him here. Well, well, uh, we, we deal with all contingencies here, but we're so glad that you're joining us. Um, I will say uh, our hearts go out to the family at the at the um, the institute. I, I know this is, as, as well as Indiana University, we know that this is a heavy, heavy blow. And um, also not too long ago, uh, Dr. Michael uh, V.W. Gordon passed away, who was also a a fixture, a, a, a pillar at Indiana University. Absolutely. This um, this semester and this year actually have been a, a challenging time for ACE. We've um, uh, lost, as you said, Dr. Michael Gordon in January, uh, and um, then we also, a few weeks ago, unfortunately, we had one of our students um, who um, actually took her own life, and that was a challenge for us. And, um, and then just to find out on Friday that Dr. Munson had passed as well. It's been a real challenging time for the students, but we're working through it, and um, we just plan to end this concert at least dedicate uh, music and um, much of what we do to their lives and to their memories. So we're excited about the music that we'll be sharing, and hopefully it will be something that will honor them as we go forward. Uh, knowing Dr. Mumford uh, as well as, as we all did, I, I think he would want it no other way. Uh, that to mm-hmm. uh, uh, Absolutely. have something, one of those, you know, and the show must go on. Yeah, yeah. He was <clears> a <throat> he was a consummate performer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, even though Dr. Mumford was no longer uh, working as a director, he was still here. You know, he was like the the great uncle or the grandfather or, or whatever you want to call him. He was always present, and um, he was always attending our events and our concerts. And we were always purposing to make sure that the students knew who he was and where he was. And um, so we will certainly miss him. And um, we're just grateful for the life that he lived and the legacy that he's left for us to be able to, to follow. We're standing literally on his shoulders. Dr. Wise, um, it's Roberta. How are you, sir? I'm well, Roberta. Glad to hear you. Yeah, thank you for joining us this evening. So I had a couple of questions that I wanted to, for you to elaborate on for our listeners this evening, and that is your relationship um, as a musical director, as a um, an original composition writer, as a performer. What are some of the... Um, what are some of the lessons uh, that Dr. Wise has imparted on you to be able to be that torchbearer um, moving the ensemble uh, and the institute, quite frankly, into the future? Right. Well, the first thing was to acknowledge that there was a history and there was a foundation. Um, when I came, I came in the fall of 2012, and um, Everywhere that I went in Bloomington, you know, from the mall to the stores to anywhere to eat, I always ran to somebody. And, you know, when we met and introduced ourselves and I told what I was doing, I said, hey, I used to sing in the choral ensemble. I sang under Dr. Mumford. And um, so I began to, to meet all of the former ACE members all over. And um, finally, I did get to meet Dr. Mumford. And, of course, you know Dr. Mumford. You know, he has, you know, lots of stories and lots of wisdom and lots of advice. And... Um, he was very, very gracious in that he did not want to overshadow or take over. He wanted me to have room to do what I wanted to do. But I was also of a mind that, having known his legacy, I wanted him to feel connected and to be a part of what we do. Because many times, um, as one 
who moves on as a professor emeritus or whatever, um, as you move on from one place to retirement, whatever the situation may be, people tend sometimes to push you to the side and to say you're no longer here, you're no longer relevant. But that was not my thought, and it was very important for me that we celebrated him. So we often had a lot of opportunities to talk together. I mean, literally, almost every couple of weeks we talked on the phone. Um, We would try to get him to come to all the events that we were doing, and if he was doing well, he was able to come. You know, we'd arrange a ride if he needed a ride, get him there, take him back home. But, um, you know, and certainly when he, you know, went to the hospital many times, we would always always check on him and, you know, call with him. We'd pray together. And, um, you know, um, I'm a minister as well. Many people don't know that. He always said, when I grow up, I'm going to pray like you, you know. But um, we just had those times that we, we worked together. And, of course, initially in my time, when I came to, um, uh, to work on ACE, the choir had declined significantly uh, since Dr. Um, Mumford was the director. So we often talked about what things we could do to help revitalize the choir and rebuild the choir. And um, certainly he always had lots of ideas and lots of thoughts, and we would try to implement some of those things. And um, just wisdom, you know, if you know Dr. Mumford, you know he always had a story. He always had something um, that you could learn and you could grow. So I was always just so excited to receive whatever he had. And um, he was like father. You know, he was the mentor. And um, for the kids, they loved him. And we purposed that every time we now do retreats every semester. And it was very important for us to make sure that we always let the new students in ACE know who the directors were, what's the history of the ensemble, and, you know, so that they know that they are part of a legacy and it's something that they are carrying from from this point on. You know, when I uh, think back on the many performances that uh, I experienced, and, and I use the word experience, it's not just that you don't go to get entertained. You you experience uh, passion. You experience uh, sort of a, a spiritual awakening, and, and you're blessed to see musical talent that is uh, peaking just at the right time, especially in the spring. Um, and, and this had a start. It had a genesis. And I think back as you were just talking about the history, it's a storied history. And, and many don't realize that uh, these students weren't just picked one day and told, here, here are the lyrics, here, I'll just you stand here, you stand there, and come on, we'll just fit in where you get in. So, no, it, this, is, this is academic instruction. And, and that's first and foremost. Can you comment on just uh, the caliber of student that is a part now of the uh, choral ensemble? Well, one thing I think that is, has always happened, and I know especially now, um, the African Arts Institute has been a place that has been open and inclusive for everybody. Um, it's always been something that's been open to everybody to be a part of this on campus. And um, certainly even more so today, now that many people outside of the African American community uh, desire to perform this music, and we are providing a place for them to have access. So uh, ACE is one of the most diverse groups on the campus. Um, literally, you'll find you know uh, people from all uh, racial backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds. Um, we, in fact, the choir members speak different languages um, that from majors all over the the campus, and it's really a diverse group. Um, and we're pretty open. Um, we have auditions still, but primarily, you know, if you can carry a tune, um, you know, you're welcome to come in. And our goal is is to bring everybody's little bit and bring it together and 
create a wonderful whole. And that's about the month used to do as well. He used to tell me stories of how, you know, when the, the recruitment was down and the choir, he'd just go out, you know, on the street corner, and um, he'd find somebody. When he was talking, he'd say, sing this. A, B, C, A, B, C, and if they sang it, he'd say, all right, be quiet, 2.30, I'm looking for you, Dennis. but, you know, he just grab them off the streets. And um, so literally, I took that advice, and, um, you know, I, I got me some flyers and kept me some stuff, and wherever I was walking on campus, anybody I met, if I saw them, if I had a conversation, I was talking to them, we were recruiting, we were trying to get them in the door. But um, he had some funny stories about some of the students that came and, and how he would recruit anywhere, literally all over the city, and um, got the choir uh, 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 filled with, with students, um, people who never thought they could sing, and they were able to sing. And that's what we're doing as well. We're continuing that legacy where we're bringing together people who just have a desire. And um, if they're willing to come and bring their, their effort, we can certainly try to shape and mold them into the kind of ensemble that we need them to be. Now, Dr. Wise, I know that there are some, there's incredibly talented, I, I know you just said that he would uh, grab those who would be talented <laughs> and then make them into something, but there was, there's often been for years and years, shining stars that have arisen. Are there some luminaries that come to mind um, that you'd like to talk about that you know that were deeply influenced by him? Well, I think of one in particular, uh, immediate. I think of Angela Brown, of course, you know, the uh, uh, major opera star. Um, and she was here. She worked with Dr. Mumford. Um, uh, she was one of his assistants. Um, and she worked with the Choral Ensemble and um, uh, Soul Review and she assistant. There are many others who came through. And we've had this relationship over the years where uh, as African-American uh, music majors would come in and would be part of Jacob School. Many of those students would come and serve as graduate assistants and graduate students, and they would work with Dr. Mumford. Uh, under his tutelage, and many of them uh, progressed and went out and had significant careers. Um, gosh, there's so many names now, they're all escaping me, but we have an uh, uh, awards band called the Herman Hudson Awards Band, and we have a list of all of these folks who have gone on uh, from the, the choral ensemble um, and the Soul Review and the dance company, in fact, who have now gone on to these major careers. But um, all of them, when they do return, they're looking for Dr. Mumford. Uh, where is he? Where was he? We, we, we want to see him. And he has always been gracious enough to come and be there and support and um, to just let us know that, that, that he's still supporting us in all that we do. Right. And Clarence mentioned that um, um, Michael V. Gordon, his recent passing, um, <clears throat> it's sometimes it's easy to think that James Mumford just sort of showed up on the scene, but it was really um, Gordon that... Yeah. It was championed Dr. Mumford to come to Indiana University. Is that right? He certainly did. That is certainly correct. Um, as you know, um, we were blessed a couple of years ago with the 40th anniversary for ACE, and we were blessed to have Dr. Gordon, Dr. Mumford, Dr. Burnham. We had, you know, everyone. We had five of the six living directors were here, and um, of course they had stories. And so Dr. Gordon told that story of how uh, he was here and he was working and they were looking for someone, and Dr. Monk was thinking about graduate school, so he actually recruited him to come. And they both went to school together in Virginia. They both studied under Undine uh, Smith-Moore, um, and um, so they had that same kind of up, uh, upbringing and musical training. And um, so he brought Dr. Mumford here, or recruited him here, and, um, and then the rest was history. The rest was history. 
You know, I, I uh, had the opportunity to talk to uh, Dr. Sykes, Charles Sykes, who is the director of the Institute, uh, just last week. And that was not an easy conversation. He was, uh, I could just tell in his voice, he was very heavy over this whole situation. Um, but uh, as being the consummate uh, director of the, as of the Institute that he is, uh, he chose to look onward, as you said earlier, onward and forward. Um, there is a, a side of doctor. He was a multifaceted person, first of all, and uh, really a person who should be celebrated. And, and we, yes, we mourn the loss and passing. Uh, he's, he's not physically with us, but boy, did he leave an impact on lives here at Indiana University oh, yeah. and, and really throughout the state of Indiana and beyond, wherever the, the, the Coral Ensemble toured. Uh, there, there is a side, though, that a lot of people don't know. Um, one thing that Dr. Mumford is known for, and Dr. Sykes and I briefly talked about this, is, is his culinary expertise. Uh, yeah. You've not had a meal until uh, you sat down and, and dined um, at, at his table. Uh, this gentleman loved to cook. Um, and I think he's even put together... Uh, a cookbook uh, over the years. No kidding. Yeah, and and he would tell me that one of the things that he would do was was when students took his course, and again, uh, all of the participants and in, in all of the institute ensembles, they're students. They're they're not paid performers. They're they're not volunteers. These are students. Um, one of the highlights was at the end of the academic semester. There was this feast that he would prepare. And he would pull out all the stops, uh, everything. He might even cook a turkey and, um, and do some greens, like, you know, like, like no one could cook like my mother right now, I'm just gonna say for the record, you know, my mother, my grandmother, okay. But this gentleman knew how to put it together. And his meals were legendary. And he cooked like many good cooks do, he cooked out of love. I mean, there's one thing when you can go to the to the pantry and whip up something, and it's edible, it's nutritious. But when you cook with love, that's a memorable mm -hmm. meal. And this gentleman knew how to do that, and he approached music that way. Um, and we we talked earlier about some of the um, compositions that he put together. Let my people go and Sojourner Truth, the choral portraits. <laughs> Uh, taking that passion for for creation uh, and and putting together beautiful beautiful music and melody, can you talk a little bit towards uh, some of the projects that he worked on? And I know these aren't the only two, but let my people go and Sojourner Truth choral portraits. Can you comment on that? Yeah, in fact, um, we were looking through some of these pieces. We have um, an archive here uh, in the institute. And we were looking for some of his pieces and some of his works. And um, uh, Dr. Mumford was not a prolific composer um, in terms of hundreds and hundreds of works, but he had several pieces that were very significant. Um, and he did those pieces here at the Institute, and they were major productions um, as he worked on those. Those were a couple that he did. The other one was the Gospel Colonists, which is another major production that they did as well. And um, they were very, very excited about that. We have um, literally a whole hallway here, if you will, uh, in the Institute that literally has all these posters and pictures of the various productions and the works that Dr. Mumford has created. So if anyone is really, really interested, it would be really neat to just kind of come up in our office and just walk the halls 
and then you can see all the various uh, uh, major productions that they did. Um, there was another one. Um, oh, gosh, now my mind is escaping me. Not Lemonade Sweet. It was a, oh, another production they did uh, with Iris Rosa and um, uh, Ken. Uh, one More River to Cross? That's, um, oh, gosh, my mind is escaping me. But at any rate, um, they were commissioned uh, um, Prelude Swing. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, they were commissioned to do a special television program, and they created original music and songs and dance, and they did a television uh, presentation, a video presentation of that. That was another major piece that they did. In fact, Dr. Sykes has been trying to get us to uh, redo some of these pieces. And um, the, the only challenge, the primary challenge has been, is the personnel primarily, because some of them were just huge, huge pieces, and at that time the ensembles were very, very large. They, they've had over 100 people in the ensembles at certain points throughout, and, and they were large pieces that require very, very large ensemble. But certainly we do have a list of things that we are looking at, and certainly now uh, it may even be more um, uh, exciting you know, or more important that we really pull out some of these older pieces just to continue the legacy and the memory as well as Dr. Mumford. You're listening to Bring It On on WFHB. Tonight we are listening and chatting with Dr. Raymond Wise, current director of the IU African American Choral Ensemble at Indiana University, as we just take a moment to reflect as a community about the passing of Dr. James E. Mumford. Um, one thing I'd like to talk about um, before we segue on is uh, the when you talk about the hundreds, maybe thousands of lives, because the ensemble numbers were huge, um, and and they are significant numbers. There are alumni out there that are now just beginning to hear the word. Um, uh, I know that one of the mediums used was Facebook. I know the university put out sort of a um, a press release of sorts, uh, but yet. News is traveling far and wide, and, and I know many are just stunned. I, I actually witnessed a gentleman call his sister uh, in L.A., and uh, she just kept asking him, please tell us not so, whatever. And, 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 and that's just a life impacted, and, and to learn of the passing of a dear friend, a mentor, is hard. Um, and there, as I as I speak about alumni, one of the things I know that that's a motivating motivating force, and and as a collective, they can do so much. And and are you thinking uh, as far as uh, not only getting the word out about his passing, but maybe engaging them because I know that's yes. energy that they're going to want to expend towards something positive. Yes, absolutely. Um, there's several things as I think about that. One thing is. Um, when we had the 40th anniversary, what we did was uh, we were able to call alumni back, and um, we kind of put together a reunion choir, and, and um, you know, Dr. Gordon participated in some ways. Uh, Dr. Mumford uh, was there. But there was a piece that most all of the alumni have done. It's a piece called um, Striving After God, and um, it was one of Dr. Mumford's favorites, and almost everyone who was in the ensemble under his uh, uh, direction sang that song. So it was important for us to pull that piece out. Um, but certainly, if alumni gather and they come back together, I'm sure their list of songs, there's several songs that are in their, their mind and memories, that perhaps they can do. So as and if a call goes out to alumni to come and sing and uh, to do something, especially in his memory, hopefully they will come back and be willing to sing, whether they remember that piece or not. If they're just willing to show up um, and they 
put together some opportunities for them to have a you know a ten minute fifteen minute rehearsal to learn something and come and share. That will also be one opportunity. The other thing that may be significant. Um, it's certainly as we hear about the arrangements for his uh, homegoing celebration uh, to come celebrate and to be a part of that celebration. That'll be great. And then finally, the other thing is um, several years ago, we put in place a scholarship uh, fund in Dr. Mumford's name. And um, not much has been done with that scholarship in terms of uh, supporting it and building it so that it can um, sustain the ensemble. But he thought it was so important to try to generate um, a foundation or scholarship or endowment or something that might be able to support the choral ensemble to assure that it would continue even beyond um, his, his literal life. So there are many ways that the alumni um, who really want to support him and continue this legacy can find a way uh, to stay connected. And then certainly with the ensemble now, um, I think in another uh, couple of years, it's going to be our 45th uh, anniversary coming up. So certainly um, when we make the call, uh, if the alumni are around available, do come back. Um, Dr. Mumford uh, did support us, and that's the one thing I'm grateful for. There were some challenging times uh, in the transitional years. But um, he was so very uh, supportive of all that we did. He was excited about where the ensemble was going. The ensemble now has grown. We're back up to about 50 uh, students uh, on a regular basis. And uh, he was just so excited about where we're going. And I know that he would want the alumni to begin to support and help to continue this legacy into the future. Doc <clears throat> Dr. Wise. Um, another notable IU alum, Mr. Robert N. Johnson, posted on Facebook a really important and poignant call to action, I think. He noted uh, that we lost William Wiggins in 2016 and Fred McElroy in 2017, George Talaferro in 2018. I'm going to add Bernard Woma to that in 2018 as well. Dr. Gordon in 2019 and now Dr. Mumford. That's a that's a lot of giants to go down. I mean like incredible incredible brain trust. Yeah, a void has been made. Love trust, mm -hmm. spirit trust. I mean, just an incredible um, void, as my colleague has said. And he's and Mr. Johnson says we're le we're losing our good men, our generation, and the next must step in and forward. These men knew how to be educated, upstanding, and cool. All at the same time. <laughs> and that he was. While sometimes that he was. speaking the Queen's English <laughs> as needed. Dr. Wise, what's you know, how do how do we as a community, as both our small Bloomington family, our IU family, our Bloomington <clears throat> town family, how do we cultivate the next generation of African American men? leaders, giants, luminaries, what what do you do? I mean Yeah. Well the main thing is is we've got to engage them. That's the first thing. Um we've got to identify them and let them know that there's more to their life than just being normal, just being average. Uh it's so amazing, um and I love this about teaching, 
you will find students who come who are tremendously gifted, uh, who have so much to offer, but they don't know it or no one has told them, guess what? You have so much inside of you that is yet to come forward. Let's, let's stay close. Let us mentor you. Let us guide you. Let us help you. Let us lead you. And there has, unfortunately, for the last maybe 10, 15 years, there's a kind of disconnect, really. Um, you know, we go back to the term, and we call it old school, you know, mm-hmm. and um, we kind of look at those who were in generations before, and we've had a couple of generations who have just, um, had a liberty that many of us uh, never had. Um, for example, I think even down to the issue of, you know, um, when many of these programs were established in the early 70s, um, to have African Americans on a predominantly white campus, it was so important that the programs we had existed because they provided a space and a place for African American students to come together and to gather. And it was in that fellowship, in that community, that folks supported one another, they encouraged one another, they lifted one another, they made each other stronger. You know, iron sharpened iron. But as we've gone, uh, uh, removed from those times, uh, two or three generations removed, there was not always that urgency um, among at least the African-American community that you must be connected, first of all, to one another, and that what you have to offer is something that will be a light or will be significant for the community. So we've got to, first of all, identify where they are and begin to engage them and allow the young people to know that what they have to offer is important, um, not only to the world, but to this community. Uh, the local community, the African-American community, and when we begin to show them what they have inside of them and how significant their contribution can be and then provide a space for them to use it, then we give them room to grow. One of the challenges with giants is that often if giants are not gracious enough to provide a space or to move aside and allow others to come, people will never come. And one thing I've seen as well even in my own career, as I've moved from one place to the next to the next, I've often worried before I made a transition, who's going to come? Who's going to step forward? Who's going to take my place? But I also realized that that person coming forth would never come forth as long as I was in my place because there was no space. And it wasn't until I shifted and moved and created a new space that a new gift or a new talent could emerge and could rise. So I think a part of that is is not only identifying them, teaching them, training them, mentoring them, but allowing a space for them to be able to use their gifts. And that is so important, and that is something that we are also trying to do um, with the ensemble. We're trying to give as many of the kids an opportunity to share and to use their gifts. And um, even without graduate students, we're trying to give them opportunities to use their gifts so that they can actually have an opportunity to rise and then people can see the greatness in them as well. You know, as, I, as you were speaking, I, I think of how uh, Dr. Mumford arrived um, to the Bloomington campus. He was at Virginia State and working on um, his, his uh, post-secondary education and um, while there met Dr. Michael Gordon and he encouraged him to consider Indiana University as a place to pursue his Ph.D. Mm-hmm. And and from that, IU received a jewel, and and really in both individuals. And as I think back on that, I, I think of just the the value of not only alumni but all of us in our various works and, and places in life to be an advocate for Indiana University 
because the history of Indiana University is, is pretty impressive at a time when it was illegal for African Americans to pursue uh, PhDs, oftentimes in their home state uh, institutions because of segregation, Jim Crow, and all, all that ugly, dark chapter. Mm-hmm. Indiana University was truly a beacon uh, for, indivi- yeah. for individuals to, to come and get that post-secondary education. Yeah. And it became known even later on in, in, in the, as the years progressed as the cradle for black college, uh, historically black college university presidents at one time having 11 sitting individuals with ties back to Indiana University. And, and as a product of that is Dr. Mumford, or was Dr. Mumford. And so one thing we possibly can do is to, uh, I wouldn't say just sing the praise of Indiana, but just sing the, the, the praise of a value of, of a higher education, uh, especially at the doctoral level. We need individuals who can, as my co-anchor sitting to my left, who is working on her PhD at Indiana University, by the way, that's a nice plug for you. Ten percent. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, to come back and then share and share the wealth. Um, you know, you go abroad and you get your experience, but then you come back home, and then you, and then you talk it up and, and you and you lead others back to Indiana University. Um, one thing I, I do want to point out, I believe in in 2017 there was a tribute uh, to Dr. Mumford that was uh, held at Indiana University. Would, would you care to comment on that? Yes. We did, and that was very, very important. Um, you know, we knew that Dr. Dr. Mumford was, was actually, you know, uh, getting older. He was about to, in fact, he celebrated his 80th birthday, and, um, you know, we wanted to do something major around that time, and because of the dates and time and scheduling, uh, Demas could not actually get it together, but it was still important that we did something very important to let him know that we celebrated him, and we wanted to, ce- to celebrate him while he could see it and feel it and hear it. And, um, you know, so often we wait until these times, and then we talk about how great someone was. But it was so important that we gave a time to honor him. So Dima put together a wonderful celebration, and they had uh, alumni and different people literally from all over the world who sent in videos and clips and congratulatory videos. Um, They were, uh, we sang, Ace was a part of that. We performed. Uh, Dr. Mumford, of course, was there. People gave wonderful uh, notes. They gave wonderful gifts and, and, and things to Dr. Mumford. But it was a time to celebrate him so that he would know um, how significant he was to the university and how much he meant uh, to the Indiana University and the DEMA and uh, African American Arts Institute family. So it was a wonderful event, and we're so glad that we were able to celebrate him um, while he yet lived and he could actually enjoy it and see it. And it was it was amazing. He was um, I remember that day. Um, you know, he was so overwhelmed and overcome by it. Um, he just wept. You know, he just wept. And uh, but then, of course, in the middle of that, he told some joke, and everybody laughed. <laughs> but you know, Dr. Mumford, yes. he always had a one line. He, he always did. Coming <laughs> out the floor laughing. And um, but it was a wonderful celebration, and uh, we were so excited that he was there. And this man was just one who kept going. Um, you know, no matter what, he kept going. I am um, think, um, you know, literally this this brother, he'd been fighting and struggling with his health for many years. He was up to about 23, 24 surgeries, you know, oh. and, and every time he said, all right, we, we got another surgery, come on, pray for me. So we prayed, we'd go, and he'd come out, and he'd be all right. And, um, you know, you just thought he would live forever. You know, that's just how it was with Dr. Mumford, you know. But he continued to fight, 
and he always was hopeful, and he was always encouraging us even through the challenges. He was always looking forward to what was coming, and um, so it was great that we got a chance to honor him at that time. And I'd like to add to that, uh, Dr. Wise, that even to the very last moments of his life, he was committed to inspiring others to be torchbearers, to be advocates, even um, just two weeks before he passed, uh, the American Association of Blacks in Higher Education invited him to their conference, and he came to the conference and gave remarkable words, inspirational call to actions about the intersection of love and advocating for our children. Um thinking about the increasing incarceration rates of our kids, the prison to pipeline phenomenon that is um, attacking our community. And he did, he positioned love and music education as um, some vehicles, the mechanisms to fight off that systemic racism, that, um, that pathway to nothingness um, so even even just moments before he was to go to home to glory, he was still working, <laughs> still um, doing, fighting the good fight. And he was, he, uh, you're, you're right, at the tribute um, that Indiana University um, 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 hosted in celebration of his lifetime achievements and contributions. He's only the second recipient of um, what, uh, something called the Distinguished Inclusive Excellence Award that uh, Vice President James Wimbush has um, designed, has um, given to one only one other individual. And when he realized that he was in this incredible small party of just two it really did it it really touched him and i i hope he really understood then um how much he really he means to so many people well i think in in his humility he he would not have flaunted it which we know he would right, not have but right, but right. these are uh tremendous uh awards that, that sort of set him out set him off as an exemplar uh, he's also was recognized as a master teacher. Mm-hmm. He was teaching award, yes. And that was uh, he was named a recipient of IU's prestigious faculty colloquium on excellence in teaching, the uh, Facet Award in 1993, and other notable distinctions. Not all, but other notable distinctions include the Bloomington Martin Luther King Jr. Legacy Award in 2006, and the 2006 Group Scholars Program Lifetime Achievement Award, and. Uh, I, I will say this, it, it's kind of hard to say, but I will say there's this organization who's a proud member of Omega Psi Phi. I was wondering when somebody was going yeah, to bring up Yeah, I know, this. those in purple and gold are out there. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, we, we won't even talk about that right now. <laughs> but, but, you know, if in uh, probably the five minutes that we have remaining, one thing I, I, I do want to share, I've been sitting on this all day, I said, i got to tell this story. i got a story of Dr. Mumford. Um, to show you how committed and, and uh, how much a strategist he was, 
Uh, in, my, in my former life, I was a major gift development officer with IU at the IU Foundation, and we had this major task of raising dollars for the Black Culture Center, the Neil Marshall Black Culture Center. And we were exhausting some, practically every idea and, and reaching out to alumni. And you have to understand, this is one of those campaigns that represented the first time that African-American alumni gave in significant numbers to a capital campaign, and, and, and that's hard. That, that is difficult. And it was eventually done um, through the legislature, uh, and, and they came through in bold fashion under the leading prodding and direction of uh, Miles Brand and uh, Christopher Simpson and others. Uh, but there, there was this one event that we hosted for the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus members, and these were key people who were seated and on various committees, uh, Ways and Means. Uh, one, of, one of them was, was a, a prominent figure on the Ways and Means Committee. So the idea was that we could at least get them down here and they could walk through the old building, which was a dilapidated sorority house, uh, and, and see for themselves where these ensembles had to practice and where the dance company had to dance on a concrete floor and talk about shin splints and everything else. but. Uh, we could just get them to come in and, in that tight space and walk around and, and have them walk up the rickety staircase and, and see where costumes are stored on the third floor and, and, and where the receptionist really truly was the gatekeeper there amidst all this activity. And the living room was packed every day and mm-hmm. on and on and on. And if they could experience firsthand, then that would go a long way toward sort of moving the needle on this campaign. Well, uh, there was this idea that we would bring them there. And uh, Dr. Mumford had this grand idea that when they would walk through the door, the choral ensemble would be practicing. And they would immediately just go right into the song, Donald Lawrence's from his Bible st- uh, story CD, Old Peter. And it's one of those rousing, just keeps building type of numbers, has everybody just, you know, hair standing up on your arms, everything. So. They had to do two takes because there was a false alarm. <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> they started singing. But then they, they came in, and, and, you know, it was one of those long days. We were kind of chauffeuring them around, you know, and, and people in prestigious positions love to be pampered. We won't go into that. But anyway, they walk in, and they're just sort of like, okay, what now? You know, we want to get back to Indy. When they start singing, you could hear, you know, their facial expressions changed. And I, I think that was the one moment that moved them to a place of saying, hey, we got to make this happen because they, mm-hmm. the, the students sung like they were, I don't know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a New York production or something. And it was just one of those moving moments that will always stay with me. And if he were here, I'd thank him again, but I just really appreciate everything he did to, to sort of make that space where you now ran from a practice, gone to, you've gone to your office, state-of-the-art uh, facilities, uh, the place to call home. And that, that's my sort of 90-second story of Dr. Boy, Martin. we are so grateful <laughs> for the memory keeper. Uh, that is Clarence Boone Jr. Wow, I had no idea in all the years that I've been around here, I've never heard anybody frame um, maybe the, the inspiration um, well, it was, it was, I wouldn't say there wasn't a dry eye. It's, that, it's not one of those type of songs, but they were patting their feet. You know, they were, we almost had church up in there, you know. And, uh, you know who else can have church? Dr. That? Raymond Wise. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, you, you know, when you say, uh, and I keep forgetting sometimes, you know, you are, yes, you are a minister, and uh, I'd love to hear you preach sometime. Um, I'll just come out to the concert, yeah. which will be on Saturday. Dr. Wise, I don't want to make, I don't want to oh, mess up. Oh, we have three uh, minutes left. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the spring concert. Yes. Because we want to make sure we get that announced. Uh, sir, give us the, the where, what, what time, and, and where do people need to go? The details. Yes, absolutely. ACE is um, preparing to have its annual spring concert. It's going to be on Saturday, April 27th at 7.30 p.m. at the Buskirk Chumley Theater. And um, we're certainly excited to have everyone come and share. There is a, a ticket uh, admission for that for adults, but we have all kinds of discounts and things for students and, you know, children and all kinds of things. So go to that Buskirk Chumley website and go on. If you use the AAI code, you can get $10 tickets and things like that. And then also we've got a 10 for 10. If you bring 10 people, you can get the discount tickets. So all kinds of great things coming on. Students can get student tickets, put them in the code, and now all they have to do is show their ID when they, they come. But we're just excited. But more importantly, um, now, as I said, we've had three people who have either passed um, in this last semester that we just want to honor and celebrate. So um, we're dedicating the first portion uh, to Dr. Mumford and Dr. Gordon. It's a, song, a portion of spirituals all talking about pretty much going home to heaven, going and crossing into uh, heaven, the heavenly city. So we're going to sing those songs in in celebration. And I said we had another young lady who uh, passed in our choir, and uh, she was fitted for her robe but didn't get to get her robe before she passed. Hmm. So we're going to do a special song called I Got a Robe, and we imagine all of them will be up up in glory in their robes, you know, shouting or singing or whatever. But, um, of course, we have so many other things. We do the spirituals. We've got the formally composed works. We've got some popular things. We've got some African things. We've got gospel things, of course. And it'll be a wonderful evening. But, again, um, we just invite people to come. And then we allow you to participate in the celebration. And you have the freedom to clap and to rock and to sing and, and to just share in the celebration. And that's what we hope to do, to really just celebrate um, the music, but also remember the lives and the legacies of those who paved this way uh, for us to be here today. Dr. Wise, um, before we give you our thank yous, I want you to, in one or two words, who is James Mumford? James Mumford is uh, the grandfather. Um, he's the uh, the patriarchal you know, uh, a father, if you will, who kind of hovers over us um, and who has been with us. Um, And it's his spirit that has really kind of pushed and propelled so many of the students uh, over all of these 30-some, 40 years to continue producing and and providing excellence. So we know that that kind of father, mentor, and spirit um, that he's always had, it will remain. And as long as we have the stories, um, as long as we're connected to that, 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 that history and that legacy, we will go on and remember him in a wonderful way. And on that note, uh, no pun intended, but on that note, our thanks to Dr. Raymond Wise, current director of the IU African American Choral Ensemble, for joining us this evening to share reflections on the passing of Dr. James E. Mumford and to preview, preview the upcoming IU Choral Ensemble Spring Concert. Thank you so much for having me today.
Bring It On has an open submission policy. If you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure that we're sharing everything and anything affecting the African American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Oh, my saints, you forget how to call me my name. When you sing and you preach, I'm the one who's real. It's a shame, oh, fame, that you push me away. Do you know what I feel when I died so you could live today? Just in case you forgot my name. It's Jesus. just heard Thomas Whitfield, a sampling of Thomas Whitfield singing In Case You've Forgotten from the Alive and Satisfied CD Project. And we offer this in musical remembrance of our dear brother, friend, gifted artisan, and recognized master teacher, Dr. James E. Mumpert. It's time now to share with you the edition of Dark Past, Bright Future, a regular feature segment on historical perspectives that you won't hear in mainstream media. For Bring It On, I'm Roberta Radovich. And I'm Clarence Boone. Welcome to Dark Past, Bright Future, lessons in African-American history that you won't read about in any textbook, telling the stories of the struggle of those who came before us to build a better path to a brighter future for all of us. The Northwest Ordinance, also known as the Ordinance of 1787, were laws that were supposed to prohibit slavery in the Northwest Territory, which was the first 
organized territory of the United States. The Northwest Territory included these areas before they became a state. Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. The prohibition of slavery in the territory effectively established the Ohio River as the geographic divide between the slave states and the free states. The Fugitive Slave Act of 1793 was enacted by the Second United States Congress, guaranteeing the right for a slaveholder to recover their property and required local governments to seize and return escaped slaves. In the early 1800s, before Indiana was a state, and up through the emancipation of 1865, a continuous stream of runaway slaves from Kentucky crossed the Ohio into Indiana seeking their freedom. Their efforts were often thwarted by the Fugitive Slave Act. In 1815, a truly triumphant event took place that challenged the laws of the government and set in motion the freedom of a slave. This April marks the 204th anniversary of the first documented case of an enslaved person within the Northwest Territory who petitioned the court for freedom and won it. The slave's name was Elizabeth, or as she was called on her freedom papers, Elizabeth, a woman of color. Kentucky, Indiana's neighbor to the south, enjoyed a lucrative business in the slave trade. The Ohio River separating Indiana from Kentucky was the boundary and the difference between slavery and freedom. However, Indiana was never truly free. Elizabeth was forced into marking her ex on an agreement that she would work for a Mr. Benjamin Weathers and or his heirs as a servant until age 52. And in exchange for her services, she would be provided with food, lodging, wearing apparel, and will be treated kindly and receive a suit of new clothing, a pair of stockings, and a pair of shoes at the end of said service. This owner, Benjamin Weathers, was able to get away with this because William Henry Harrison, a former slave owner and Indiana's first governor, quietly permitted slavery through the enactment of laws designed to bypass the Northwest Ordinance. For example, French slaveholders were exempt from the laws, and indentured servitude was the accepted practice. The common practice of indentured servitude in Indiana could be voluntary or involuntary, 
But in the case of Elizabeth, it was involuntary, therefore making it slavery by another name. It is important to note that both slaves and indentured servants were considered property and could be bought, sold, and bequeathed by will. So, despite the semantics, their agreement marked with Elizabeth X was no more than a contract of enslavement until age 52. Attorney George F. Pope brought Elizabeth's case before a jury of 12 white men in April of 1815 in Harrison County, Indiana Territory. That was 48 years before Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. The jury did the unbelievable. They ruled in her favor. No last name was given for Elizabeth. She was listed on the court record simply as Elizabeth, a woman of color. At the time of this case, hundreds of other persons were bound in servitude, some for as long as 92 years. Elizabeth was one of the fortunate few who petitioned the court and won. Others who were fortunate were Polly Strong in 1820 from Knox County. Mary Bateman Clark in 1821, also from Knox County. Jacob and Isaac in 1823 from Davis County. The Fugitive Slave Act was superseded by the 13th Amendment on December the 6th, 1865, which abolished slavery and involuntary servitude. This concludes this segment of Dark Past, Bright Future. You've been listening to Dark Past, Bright Future, exploring the many different shades of African-American history, because the true history of our people is more complex than black and white. In the words of the Negro National Hymn, sing a song full of the hope that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.